Hey friends, my name's Will. And my name's Hannah. And you're listening to the Spiritual Misfits Podcast. If you've ever found yourself on the fringes of Christian faith, this is a safe space for you. Your questions, doubts and hopes are all welcome here. We're creating conversations, affirmations, meditations and other resources to support you on your spiritual journey. And let you know that even if you feel like a misfit, you don't have to feel alone. Caro and Becca, welcome back to the podcast. This is a third time appearance for both of you. So you are now officially, you've graduated good friends of the podcast so good i feel like we're on a hat and becca this is um <laughs> this is good thanks for having me you don't get invited back for a third time unless you you've got some serious wisdom to offer <laughs> that's very kind <laughs> oh, that's really nice today we are going to have a conversation that i feel like has been a long time coming in the list of potential themes and conversations that we explore on the pod we're going to chat about um, parenting and how to raise little people when we have our own questions about faith and we wonder, should we, should we uh, kind of just put everything on pause and, and try to pass on nothing in case we pass on any baggage? Should we just embrace that we're going to pass on different baggage? Should we just pass on the same old baggage and hope that they navigate it as wisely and wonderfully as we all have? Um, <laughs> there are many questions that arise, um, but... Yeah. Before we get into that, how about we just go around? I don't know if either of you would have listened to one of my favorite podcasts in recent times was Hamish Blake's podcast, How Other Dads Dad, and great parenting podcast, but he asks all of his guests, what are your parenting stats? He's like, what are are the names and ages of your kids? Give me your parenting stats. So let's start there. How about, Caro, you give us your parenting stats to begin with? For sure. So I have um, a daughter named Freya who is almost 14 in a week or so. And then I have another daughter, Alexia, who is 12 and a half. Um, The girls are both in high school. So Freya's in year eight, Alexia's in year seven. And then I have a a son, Archie, who's 10 and he's in year five. So they are my stats. Nice. How about you, Becca? Um, I have a son named Saffron. And he is, he'll be 13 in August. So we're kind of on that cusp of teenagehood. Um, I have a daughter named Jubilee and she is 11. And I have a son named Salem and he is, um, he's going to be nine next week. And our kids are, Kara and my kids are quite good friends with each other. So we should throw that out there that we both live on Darwell country. (laughs) Um, We're in the same church. (laughs) Beautiful. And our kids love hanging out with each other, which is really nice, actually. That's really Makes cool. Makes parenting a lot easier. Yeah. Very good. How about you, Will? Yeah, Will, what are your stats? Yeah. My stats are Noah is seven, Leo is five, and Emery is 10 months. So Oof. you guys are just a little bit, a little bit further ahead than me, mm-hmm. so you can give me all the wisdom as I navigate the years between now and early to mid teenagehood. <laughs> Sure. Um, but probably some disclaimers that are worth saying at the beginning of this chat, you know, like we're all parenting in real time and mm-hmm. we don't know the long-term results yet. And that's true of every parent at every point in time. Um, it doesn't mean we can't, mm-hmm. you know, uh, do our best to be, to be wise and to be 
thoughtful, considered, intentional. Um, but we're, we're not coming across like we've, we've cracked the code here or I certainly don't think I can come across like that. Um, and I don't think you guys would either. No, no, no. I just want to add some other disclaimers. I've been thinking about this and I think for me this is important to say that, um, you know, as I talk about my kids and talk about my experiences, I just really want to acknowledge that, number one, I've got three able-bodied kids um, that don't have any significant health issues or disabilities. Um, number two, as far as I can tell, my kids are neurotypical. So I'm not navigating some of the complexities that might be present for other parents um, as they're just navigating the, mm-hmm. the beauty and the wonder of their own children. And I do think I need to, the other third big disclaimer that I would say, and just because as we continue talking, I'm sure that this might come up is that like I recognise that essentially what I have done with the last 13 years of my life in pastoring a church is I've been creating a church that my kids can actually attend. Um, And I want to say that as a big disclaimer because I'm sure we'll end up talking about the nuances of church and faith communities and whether we want our kids to be connected to some of those things. And I was thinking about this going, wow, if I didn't have the church I've created, I don't know what we would be doing church-wise with our kids. And so I just want to recognise that I have a safe enough place to take my kids as I feel, but I recognise that people listening might feel genuinely like we don't and that makes um, that makes your decisions different. So I just want to say all that as a big disclaimer up front. Mm. Mm. That's good stuff. Becca, do you have any other disclaimers to add? Yeah, no, I mean I'm similar to Caro in all of that and I get to go to, to bring my kids to a church that Caro is creating <laughs> and that I, I'm also on the leadership team and on staff with so I'm able to, yeah, form and I'm I'm one of the people that, you know, that works with the youth on a Sunday once a month and gets to shape some of the practices we do and that is that's quite an honour um, and, yeah, neither of us feel like, wow, we have nowhere to go with our kids. Mm. So that would be very different than a lot of people listening. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, interestingly, um, drawing from my own experience, uh, we like pre-meeting ground, the church that is kind of behind the spiritual misfit stuff, when I was on staff at a bigger church, um, it did create uh, like for, for probably a year or two, I was the only one going to church on Sunday. And mm. my wife, Sam, it, it was too difficult, both what it meant to be a pastor's wife and all the expectations and complexity that are around that as a phenomenon. And then also what mm. it meant to be a, a very young mum, as in not, not a young mum, but a, a new to mumming mum, because I actually started my role as a pastor there uh, one or two months after we had our first child. So it was very interwoven mm. and to pick up on what you guys were just getting at, like church actually was a space that felt like it, it intensified all the pressure on what it meant mm. for our family. So yeah, there are so many reasons why those spaces can become difficult. And like you have done, Caro, we started our little community as a way of going, how could church look like, like mm. it's something that is, uh, you know, our family is is a central concern to how we architect community. Um, so yeah, agree that that's not everyone's experience. Um, and I should add that uh, 
at least two out of three of my children are neurodiverse. And mm-hmm. I say at least two out of three. With If I was a betting man, I would bet at this point in time that we'd probably <laughs> go in three for three. It's just a little bit hard to tell with a 10-month-old. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, but that's that's all part of the conversation. I think the other thing that just all of that already brings up is that uh, everyone's parenting journey is unique and this yeah. is one conversation out of many that we could have and I hope that we certainly bring more people on and have more episodes around yeah. these kind of themes of parenting, faith, because they're questions that are relevant to, to many people. Um, oh, and one other thing while we're just setting up some foundations here is that I would say that even though for me there are many aspects of the evangelical Christianity that I grew up with that I have kind of had to work through, reject, you know, pick and choose from, I actually was really like lucky that I grew up with a very secure, loving home environment and, again, acknowledge that that's not everyone's, um, not everyone's story too. So, okay. So for, for both of you, I wonder... kind of just to begin with, have you ever experienced anxiety around the kind of faith you are or aren't passing on to your children? And what has that looked like maybe at different stages of the parenting journey, even maybe before you had kids? I don't know if that was on your mind, but yeah, what were some of the anxieties, concerns that you've had in that space? Um, I just thinking of, I guess, when I was thinking of what comes to mind with what I have really intentionally not passed on the things that I was, I've been able to pick up, you know, even if I'm not explicitly teaching this to them, but that they'd pick it up would be, um, uh, purity culture, um, which I'm also scared about them not partaking in purity culture as well. So I haven't had to like go too far down. I'm scared of both of those things. Um, scared of any understanding of hell as eternal conscious torment. And, um, any kind of rapture theology, because I had such anxiety as a child around rapture <laughs> and um, like the Left Behind series. I don't know about you, Will, but like for Kara and I would have been like when we were in, you know, high school. Those are, I don't know. At least in America, actually, Kara. Mm. They're still actually sitting in an op shop. I see them at the yeah, op no, shop. It made us right here. I'm like, oh, should I do something with these? And just leave it. Um, but I had a lot of anxiety about that, about a lot of, yeah, that, um, like, you know, Will, you're mentioning having like a really well-attached, you know, foundation growing up. And I think that, um, I think that even if you had a loving enough, safe enough home, some of the doctrines that we were taught actually disrupt that sense of attachment and that sense of safety. Mm. Um, especially around, you know, by the time I was, I think I, I probably, quote unquote, got saved when I was about five years old. And that's probably when I realized that if I didn't believe these certain things about Jesus, that I would be tortured um, forever. And so then, of course, I'm going to ask Jesus in my heart, like a good pastor's daughter, which my parents were really happy about. Um, But then you actually live with this understanding of yourself as so flawed that you really deserve that torture even though your own parents would never treat you like that but somehow the divine heavenly parent is going is going to do that mm-hmm. um so that's something i've been really really wanting to avoid for my own kids um and actually this morning i asked them some questions before they went to school which was very like very quick but um i did ask them if they knew what hell was and 
um, my my eldest is watching The Good Place. So I don't know if you've watched that. Love um, it. With his dad, like kind of slowly. And so he said, oh, is that is that the place where you get tortured, Hal? And I, I realize that it's, he, he's understanding that more from The Good Place. And then my, my youngest son said, um, he was like, he said, I've never heard, I've never heard of it. And then he goes, what the hell is hell? <laughs> <laughs> and then my, my daughter though, she, she looks at me when I said, I said, do you know what hell is? And she goes, is it real? <laughs> so she's obviously <laughs> heard something. And I was like, no, no. Anyway. So, yeah. So those are probably the things I've been like most wanting to kind of avoid. Mm. Mm. Let's definitely come back to the, the purity culture you know, the, the tension of I don't want to pass that on, but I don't want to not yeah. pass something exactly. on. Um, but yeah. Caro, what would you add to that list of anxieties of passing on or not passing on? Yeah, I um, I think one of the things just even undergirding all of the more specific things that we may or may not pass on was this feeling I've had where my husband Luke and I, we've chosen not to... Um, We've chosen not to parent in this pass on the faith in the same way that we inherited the faith. And by that, what I mean is I think we were given fairly, you know, kind of like just rigid, rigid containers of the faith or like we were taught sort of doctrine fairly early. We would at both of us, uh, I think probably around four years of age, you know, ask Jesus into our hearts. Um, so all of that language around getting in to the faith through a mechanism of a prayer or a pro like something like that um like we've taken a just a much more open approach but I have felt anxious about that because I guess the question I've had is like oh well in some ways like what I received didn't do me too much harm even though I've had to undo a lot and then like I have that anxiety around okay if I'm not really giving my kids the same thing what what's the future look like for them? Am I giving them enough? Like, so I've had a bit of like sort of probably more low level anxiety, just not, not just about specific doctrine, but more about the method of what, how we're Mm. raising our kids in the faith. Um, So that that's kind of at different times caused us to have conversations or just caused us to think through. But, and like, like you said at the beginning, Will, like this is, this is an open experiment. Like, I don't know how this is going to turn out. So, uh, you know, ask me when my kids are 35 and I might say, Oh man, I wish I'd at four taught them to invite Jesus into their heart. I, I don't think I will, but like we, we haven't done as much sort of structured um, delivery if that makes sense. And like I I grew up in a family where we had um, family devotions every every morning on a school day before my dad went to work and we all went to school. Like we did that probably right up until I was, I reckon, I don't actually don't remember when it ended, but I reckon probably still being in year 10 and dad would have like family devotions um, at 10 to 8 every morning. And so I grew up in quite a structured Mm. like, quiet time, family devotions, give your heart to Jesus, go to church kind of thing. And we we haven't done those things with our kids. And so some of the questions are around, oh, is this, you know, what are we doing? Is it okay? Um, 
Yeah. So, and then the other thing I'd probably, or the two things I'd probably add more specifically is I really have been cautious about what kind of sin theology I've passed to my kids. Um, I, I obviously want to give them an understanding that, you know, as humans, we stuff up and we make mistakes and that has consequences in the real world, not so much the eternal world. Um, but I haven't wanted them to have any kind of concept of total depravity. I haven't wanted them to have any co- um, concept of separation from God, like that somehow they are mm. separate from God and then ha- and sin is the cause of that and then they have to do a thing to become reconnected. Like I've wanted to just kind of totally undermine that idea of separation and, of course, too, one of the other things would just be like the, the issues that come around women and gender roles that are so pervasive in um, the church and evangelicalism. I've wanted to um, raise my daughters and my son to have nothing, none of that baggage underneath their kind of like faith. So, yeah, there's some mm. of the things that I've, I've come up against and <laughs> been experimenting with in real time. I can I can relate to a lot of what both of you just shared. Um, probably like what Caro said about not passing on the faith in a more kind of mm. regimented way is probably more where the fear lays for me. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly, I don't think I, I've been very conscious of not passing on hell and PSA and the separateness of God and all those sort of things. But mm-hmm. but the the flip side anxiety is for me oh. Um, I like don't really ever read the Bible with my kids or um, they don't go to a Sunday school. It's not like they're getting that kind of like biblical worldview. I hate that phrase Mm. so much actually Mm -hmm. uh, because of what that's usually attached to. But either way, they're not even getting the biblical worldview that I feel like I would like them to get. Although then I do think that we don't necessarily know how much our kids pick up that's that's in the less um, structured and is in the organic. Mm. And when I do have conversations with them, I'm sometimes blown away by some of the stuff that they they do know about the Jesus story that has come yeah. kind of without that, like we do our devotions every morning or evening. Mm-hmm. There are moments that kind of hurt a little bit. Like So for me growing up as a kid, one thing I look back on fondly is that before I went to bed every night, my dad would come in and pray with me. And when I ask my when I ask my seven year old at night, like, you, do you want to pray before going to sleep? He's just like, nah, like <laughs> I don't want to, and I don't want to force it. But that's yeah. the side for me where I'm like, you're growing up with um, a more distant in some in some ways it's more like woven through the fabric of our lives, but also mm-hmm. in some ways Christianity probably feels more distant, less relevant. Whereas in my childhood it was. It was front and center all yeah, the time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a, it's a tension, but I kind of yeah. feel the anxiety like that. That anxiety of like I don't want to be do too much or not enough. It's kind of like yeah. that middle <laughs> yeah. spot is the yeah. difficult spot that many of us probably find ourselves in. Yeah. And I think you know, like on some levels, I've made peace with the idea um, that. In parent, like I'm, I say this with caution, but I, I have made peace with the idea that parenting is a lose-lose scenario. Like that, on some level, you know, we are going to be passing on things to our kids out of our own lives, out of our own faith, out of our own being that they're going to have to push back against and undo. And 
I've just made peace with that as as a thing. Like, you know, you can sort of say, oh, you know, you hand them a strict container, they'll push back against that. You don't hand them a container, they'll push back against that. Just make peace with the fact that part of their journey through life will be to push back against you and that's okay. Like, so, yeah, I... Mm. That's, I think that's some of the ways in which I've kind of managed the anxiety is just to trust that um, whatever happens, maybe the most important thing is to have a really healthy relationship with my kids. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I think about that bedtime prayer thing and I, I would have been similar. My parents would have prayed for me as I went to bed and I wonder was the comfort the prayer or was the comfort the fact that my parents were with me in the um, the waning moments of my day? Like, so I'm still with mm. my kids saying goodnight and sometimes having the funniest, most meaningful conversations at bedtime because they want to avoid going to sleep. And maybe that's the same kind of goodness that's coming from the prayer, but it's just, yeah, it's just more relational between parent and child. Um, mm. Possibly, yeah. I think yeah. that's good. One one thing that, like what you just shared, made me think about was I do feel like there is this anxiety, particularly for kind of post evangelicals or people that have you know been on a journey like you know we have. There is this sense of like I now, uh, and probably this happens for every generation of parents, but like I will not make the same mistakes, and my kids mm. will have like they will have the good childhood without baggage. <laughs> and yes. I just think that we have to like, we have to just shoot that. We, we yeah. absolutely have to put that yep. idea to bed because the pressure we put on ourselves that what I'm going to pass on is going to be, you know, and, and also I think that helps us to have compassion like back in time to our caregivers and our yeah. communities that we came from and to realise that often they were doing the best they could with what they had and that's all we're doing. And mm-hmm. some of the best parenting advice I think we got given early on was like just start putting some money aside now to help pay for some of that future therapy that they're <laughs> going to need from whatever it is <laughs> yes. that you give them, yeah. you know, rather yeah. than thinking like how, like how can we, how can we perfect this? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we don't want to be like, we don't want to be like careless in our parenting. No. But like let's all just let ourselves off the hook of thinking that we can produce like the first generation in human history mm. of kids without yeah. baggage. To, to quote a Bible verse, Satis, because why not? I, I, you know, love covers a multitude of sins. And I think that that's really true in parenting. Like if you are delivering love, love for your child, like comfort for your child, compassion for your child, like presence for your child, it's going to cover a multitude of parental mistakes which we're all going to make. Like I think of all the things I've done that are terrible. I could write a terrible list of things I've done, you know, to my kids and times when my own, you know, frustrations or pains or my own stresses leaked over into their lives and, you know, but the the apologies you make, the the presence you give, like I do think it, that it doesn't make what happens okay but to saturate them in love, to be sort of child-centred in the way that you approach, you know, things that, you know, it's it's okay. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I was, Kara, I'm thinking of um, 
Because on Good Friday, our church did a wake for a righteous man, which was basically a funeral for Jesus, which was Harrow orchestrated a really, really, really beautiful, solemn, funny night. And she asked different people, maybe nine people, to, to give, to write little eulogies about their friend Jesus, who had now died. And so you had people talking about, in our church, talking about Jesus in an extremely personal way, which doesn't happen maybe that frequently. Um, And like, so for instance, I shared about, you know, my first surprise pregnancy right after I got married and then, um, which, and then having Jesus come, you know, come over and tell us it was going to be okay. And he thought our baby was going to be cute. And I mean, this is a very sad story, but then I ended up, um, starting to bleed and not knowing, you know, what would happen and how Jesus was with us, my husband and I, that night kind of as we, you know, my husband was singing a song um, just to kind of bring me comfort. And Jesus is there. So I'm telling this story and then talking about, you know, I lost the baby and Jesus kind of being there to comfort me, like a very, very personal story. And um, and so many stories like that, like people sharing about, you know, being teenagers and and weeping with when they encountered the love of the love of Jesus, the love of God. And and there's not many teenagers in our church that I think would necessarily have that encounter because they're a lot more securely attached than, you know, most of us probably were to God. Um, but one of the one of the teenage girls went home that night. I heard this from her mom and, and she was crying and crying. And she said, everyone was talking about Jesus. And it, it was so personal. It was like Jesus was their friend and it's like he was real. And she said, like, I don't have that. And, and, and she said to her mom, and I think she means you as in us, as all the leaders at the church and all the parents, you guys are so afraid to teach us the wrong thing that you're not teaching us anything. And it was like a big, like hearing that story, I was like, wow, like I was given such a hyper-personal, hyper-personal view of Jesus, of salvation, of the gospel. I was quoting a song this morning, which I don't know who it was, but it was like, there's a song I sang as a teenager that was like, um, one of these days I'm going to, you know, see my savior face to face. One of these days I'm going to um, hold the key for the mansion built for me. I'm going to walk the streets of gold that were paid for me. Like I was given this very individualistic faith and we are not passing that on. But then are there ways that the, the our kids and our, our teenagers are missing out on that? Like when they do eventually encounter suffering in their life, which they absolutely will, like would they be able to sense Jesus with them, bringing comfort, you know, in their pain, mm. um, in the ways that we have, like that kind of like semi-mystical. I mean, this, these were obviously a little bit embellished. It was very, it was written for a purpose. But um, yeah, so I think for me, that's that question of like, you know, when my, when my kids, if they have kids and they're up in the middle of the night, like, will they feel that God's there with them, you know, in the ways that I really needed God to be, um, you know, and through other, you know, traumatic experiences, like, would they, would they have that sense that God was like, you know, viscerally present mm. with them in their pain? Um, yeah. I think for me, that hits on the fact that it's a good reminder that I wasn't just the faith I inherited is not just baggage, plenty of that. But in amongst that, there was some really, really good and, and healthy things. And I think that that personal relationship stuff, again, there are aspects of it that I would communicate differently. I would use different language. 
but ultimately I did feel like God cared about me in a, in a really personal way. And mm. part of the prayers at night thing was like, if I was having trouble sleeping, that was this sense that even when my mm. parents left the room, it was like, well, Jesus mm. is with you. And, yeah. you know, you've always got yeah. that, that other presence. Whereas I feel like mm. sometimes I, I feel like when I walk out of the room, you know, do, do and like my kids are, are very bad at sleeping. And I'm like, I just wish that you knew that Jesus was with you and you weren't so <laughs> reliant on coming into my bed every night for the rest of my life, um, which I do, I do love as well. But yeah, yeah I think that's a, it's just a good reminder that, you know, we look back on the past sometimes with rose colored glasses and then sometimes with like, I don't know, like, uh, Black, fragmented black glasses, lenses where yeah. we only see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I think one of the things I, I've thought about in this is, and maybe what uh, we're attempting to do with our kids um, at home is just a slight distinguishing between um, the theology of our faith that we're passing on, um, which for us has, you know, that's probably where the um, the tension lies in the in the theology. Um, but separate to that is the fact that we um, are acknowledging that our kids are, are spiritual and we're wanting to give them a spirituality um, and mm. that for us that spirituality mm. is embedded in the story of Jesus. But nonetheless, we we want to teach them how to be spiritual beings. Um, so I think that, you know, some of the things that we probably have chosen to pass on in our family uh, perhaps less the um, the doctrinal correctness of the faith that they're um, you know that, that is their heritage and more a deep sense of the spirituality of all things and an ability to to sense the presence of God as goodness as love as peace as um, comfort um, teaching them how to be a little bit attuned to those things in their life, how to how to how to how to be spiritual, um, but also acknowledging mm. that that for us, because our family is historically Christian, our heritage is is the Jesus way. That for us, it's coming up out of the Jesus way, and that there are um, elements of how Jesus taught us to live that are um, interwoven with that spirituality. So it's not like a just a just a nebulous kind of spirituality, but it's a, a spirituality grounded in the story of Jesus. And so, at different times throughout our kids' lives, we've we've taught them practices, or we've given them practices, or we've done things as a family that try to, in a more holistic way, kind of have this spirituality just present in our in our lives. Mm. Um, and there's a few, yeah, we've done that intentionally in a few ways and then just unintentionally as it overflows out of my life and Luke's life. Like a lot of I think what your kids are going to pick up on is just the overflow of what's coming out of you. And so I think it kind of actually matters what's coming out of you um, because your kids will pick up on that. And mm. I think it's one of the real challenges of the deconstruction um kind of space is that a lot of the time for us as as adults navigating all of that a lot of what is is coming out of us is angst is rage is grief is hurt is pain um and that's appropriate to be processed and it's appropriate to be held but i think 
if we if we if we don't allow those parts of ourselves to be transformed in healthy ways, we do pass them on to our kids. Uh, they will pick up mm. uh, a sort of yeah. They'll they'll hear the tone. They'll hear the language. They'll hear the conversations. And I think I think that being able to navigate that a little bit um, in a healthy adult way is important because kids mm. don't just hear what you tell them. They hear everything that you don't say and, yeah, so that's been important I think for Luke and I as well is just to on on some ways be careful the conversations we're having in uh, where our kids can overhear if it's too angst or too too hurt-based. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's a really a really good reminder and I think part of the difficulty that I sometimes see people navigating and you know I navigated as well is this question of okay, now that I know that I can ask this age appropriate and faith stage appropriate question, should I be trying to get my 5-year-old to ask the same <laughs> question? Because I want them to be authentic. I now really value authenticity and radical honesty. So I want my kid to be radically honest. But I think that that kind of leads into this whole sense that actually the questions that a five-year-old mind is asking and the needs of a five-year-old, like I'm at a a developmentally appropriate stage to be unbuilding and then rebuilding worldview. Whereas a five-year-old is, is, there's not really a worldview to unbuild yet. So I think that sometimes there's this sense that like, you know, kid asks a question and and we want to give them like the deconstruction kind of answer. Yeah. When it's yeah. like, well, actually at this point in your time, you probably need, you need to build a house. You need to build a foundation. Yeah. Now, I don't want it to yeah. be a shitty house. Let's build a nice mm-hmm. one. But it, like an example for me would be talking to my kids about, um, I don't know, miracles in in like the stories of Jesus. Like at that point in time, I don't really feel like it's necessarily helpful for me to give them a physics lesson and then talk about (laughs) how storytelling can be true in lots of different ways that sometimes it's literal, sometimes it's mythical, sometimes it's theopoetic. Like it's not necessarily the right way to be approaching the story, but to actually say to them, wow, in this story where Jesus, like, you know, a boy brought the fish and loaves and Jesus fed thousands of people, like, what do you think that that says about God and just enter into yeah. how that story looks as a child? Yeah. Um, have you thought, you know, have you thought, Becca, about some of those kind of like how to be mm-hmm. in your process and your journey while, you know, recognizing that the age and stage of our kid's life requires maybe some different questions, answers, perspectives? Yeah. Um, I found Pete, Pete Enns has a book on teaching kids the Bible intentionally, like in church or in, you know, if you're doing that at home or where he, he, his curriculum is that, you know, years one to four is that kids just need to hear stories about Jesus. And actually mostly like parables is kind of the main thing. And that, yeah, the same thing. It's like, what does this show us about God? What God is like, if Jesus is the clearest picture we have of God, you know, how, how, what does this show us about God? And then it's not till you're five to eight, which is interesting because I was thinking about that today and I have a year seven kid who wouldn't, we wouldn't have done this yet. But that's when you're kind of setting up the structure of understanding the kind of story of, you know, biblical Israel and the 
yeah, I don't, I guess, I mean, we haven't gone yet, so I shouldn't talk too much about it, but just the idea of that's when you kind of start to slot in some of the old Testament narrative, like big picture narrative. Um, and then in high school, you're actually looking, helping the kids to understand that the Bible is written in a time and a place and a culture. And that's when you're kind of helping them deconstruct things, um, before they go to uni or before they kind of out in the world and they're suddenly getting hit. Like Mm. that was what happened to me. Like I went to, and I went to a Christian university, but like, I remember my intro to Bible class was just like, what? Like, ah, things about even Jesus birth were really like, you know, like telling me that Jesus was probably born in the downstairs of his family's home and, you know, like rather than in a, a cave or a, a whatever, you know, uh, a manger, you know, and um, yeah. So anyway, that you actually have a space for kids to do that. And um, so I think that's been, yeah, helpful for me um, to think about with my kids and not even thinking, okay, are we moving forward? What are the benefits of the Old Testament stories? Mm. <laughs> like, I don't know. Some of them, there's some stories are so violent, you know, and so like God is on our side and yeah, violence is a, a, a good enough means to an end. But I just don't know if those are, if we're ready for those really till, mm-hmm. until adulthood. So we probably take the avoidance approach. Um, I was asking my kids what stories from the Bible they know. They did know the Jonah story, but we did that as a church. And so the kids were doing that. They're like the one about the whale. <laughs> They know about Adam and Eve, but I remember my son when he was about six or seven telling his friend, who I heard from the mom, that he said that Adam and Eve were a myth. <laughs> he learned that from his dad, <laughs> not from me. Um, it's like Santa. And, <laughs> what? Well, we, yeah, had a similar, we had a similar thing with our kids because we've taught them probably I think this is a mistake we made when we were communicating the Bible early on to some of our kids when they were younger was to – to communicate it like maybe it, it's not all literally real. And I remember we were driving home from somewhere one time and we were talking, somehow we were talking about the Bible. And one of my kids, I think it was Lexi, she was like, she just kind of threw her hands up in the air. She was like, it was cu- quite a few years ago. She goes, well, if that's not real, how is any of it real? Like, and I, I in that moment I realised, oh, we have to be careful here because we're trying to give our kids too much of a nuanced like version of this thing but they're not ready for it like they actually need a little bit more concrete hey i hope you are really enjoying this episode of spiritual misfits you may have noticed that our episodes are ad free and we don't have a patreon page we want our podcast and online community to be as accessible and available to as many people who need it without money getting in the way I want to shout out the good folks at Meeting Ground Church who help make this possible. As a small alternative faith community, we see this work as our offering to the broader spiritual landscape of Australia and beyond at this time. We don't have any external funding. The resources used to create this show are truly from the grassroots. And I'm personally really grateful for every person who helps make that a possibility. If you do want to support the show, Uh, If you have the means, here are three simple ways that you can. One, spread the word. Almost everyone who listens to this pod heard about it through word of mouth. You don't have to spread this good news to avoid any form of punishment. Um, But if it's actually good, it's not that hard to share, is it? Two, rate and review. Uh, It genuinely helps other listeners find it and gives the show a little more cred. So jump on your listening app now and hit the five stars and write a couple sentences. 
three, if you do want to donate some dollars, whether as a one-off or in an ongoing way, uh, there are details for how to do that on the Spiritual Misfits website and in the show notes of this episode. It takes a fair bit of time to create this work and we're grateful for every dollar given to help towards that cost. Your support doesn't earn anything around here. So whether or not you do any of the above, you are welcomed, you're loved, and we're glad you're here with us. Let's get back into the episode now. One of my one of my very happy stories from parenting is that like we we have allowed our kids to go to Protestant scripture at school, even though our theology would be very different. Um, and the reason we did that was because we felt like it was good for them to be exposed to what the majority Christian people believe and help them navigate why we think differently rather than have them get to like later in life, meet a fellow Christian and then be told by that other fellow Christian but that they're not Christian because they're not believing the same thing. So we've tried to kind of raise them. But anyway, in, what, in, in a Protestant scripture class, the, the topic was parables and the scripture teacher just asked the class, uh, does anyone know what a parable is? And Lexi puts up her hand and she's like, yeah, it's the creation story um, in, in Genesis. <laughs> and I think she probably got schooled a little bit by the scripture <laughs> teacher, but I was really proud. That was a really proud parent moment because I was like, yeah, she's catching early on that. You know, this this is has truth in it. This has goodness in it, but it's not all it's not all real. Um, so you know, can I tell you a story? Yeah, yeah, go. Just picking right up off that, like this is one of my like my parenting wins was just a couple of days ago. I took Noah to the library. Um, we love to go to the library, and um, he picked a a book to read together, which was a um, like an Aboriginal Dreamtime um, book. And we've read it before and he loves it. So he went and chose it. Um, story about the rainbow serpent. And as we're reading it, he basically said, oh, this is like, this is like their story of how God mm. made the world. Like we have our story of how yes. God made the world. And yeah. in that moment, there was absolutely no hint of one of these stories is right and one of them is wrong. One of them's true. One of them's false. Which is how I would have been taught it as a kid. Again, no blame assigned, but it was we have yeah. the story of how God we made the, the world right and other people believe lies. Mm-hmm. And and yet we then think as adults, well, how can I – I can't tell my child that all the stories are true because that can't be true. But actually in, in his mind there was no problem yeah. seeing yep. that we have our story and they have their story and they're not in competition with each other. And we can affirm both. <clears throat> and I love that he, he had a reference point for like affirming his own story. Like he was like the Genesis yeah. story. W- we've heard that story. I, that's my story of how God has made yeah. the world. So he knows that, but he can also affirm another story. And mm. I think that's probably more to do with his personality and brain than any kind of like <laughs> wonderful intentionality <laughs> on my part. But I thought, oh, what a beautiful moment. Because yeah. that's really, I think, how to raise our kids in a tradition, like for me, the big thing is I do want to raise my kids in a tradition. I see so much value in that foundation, yeah. but yeah. how to do that in a pluralistic world yeah. and honour other traditions and stories and not view them mm-hmm. as um, lies, you know, but yeah. as different ways of understanding the story. 
Yeah, I think it it comes down to what we're like. A, we were just taught like a Christian supremacy, and that's very tied into white supremacy. It's tied in with you know racism and colonization, and it's about power. And I think when I was in university, we we hosted a a, a Jewish rabbi, and he said something. I don't know his name, but he says something that has stood with me, which is that um, there are two religions in the world. There's the religion of empire and the mm. religion of peace. And it doesn't matter if you're Muslim, Christian, Jew, Buddhist, atheist, agnostic, you, you'll gravitate towards one of those religions. And so you might actually have something, you might actually share much more of your faith. And my experience, as I have quite a few friends that are Muslim, is that I share so much more mm. with Muslim friends um, who are committed to loving God and loving their neighbor in the best way they can through their faith traditions. And my kids understand that. And there's never been this sense of like, there's only one way to be and that something's bad with other faiths or, you know, that I've wanted to really raise them with interfaith friendships, which I, I didn't mm. probably ever have. Um, and, and also like for us, because my kids are American, they um, have had to grapple with like, my son was only, I'm realizing he's only six and seven when Donald Trump was coming to power, but he was pretty quick to, he would, I think he would overhear me talking with family on, on calls and, and realize that we were talking politics and that he had family members that were voting for Donald Trump. And he would just be horrified because he knew what I felt. He knew, you know, how I saw Trump. Um, yeah. Anyway. And so he, he was just like, but why would, why would they vote for Trump? And I said, well, Trump, you know, says he's a, he says he's a Christian. And so some Christians, even though he does this, this, and this, they will believe that he's the best person because he says he's a Christian. So then later on in life, over the next year or two, he would say, oh, are they like a Donald Trump type of Christian? So he was able to kind of put, you know, understand that there are different types of Christian. Like, um, and it was funny, this Salem today, I said to him, I said, are you a Christian? When I was asking them questions. And he goes, I don't know, you tell me. <laughs> And I was like, oh, well, that is a correct <laughs> response. You tell me if I'm following, if mm -hmm. I act like a Christian, if I'm following Jesus. So, um, yeah, so I think, it, and, and I've, Karen and I have talked lots about this, but I've done the opposite where I have not let my kids go to scripture, um, even when they've wanted to, even when they brought home the form and said, can I go to Protestant scripture? I've said, no, sorry. Like, maybe because I didn't grow up with it being a thing and I don't really know what, what it is taught. But for me, it's been more like, yeah, I really, especially when kids are younger, I don't want them hearing there's just theology i just don't want them to be exposed mm. to i don't things i don't want them to worry about and i think if i knew the people teaching i knew exactly what they were going to share um i knew how they answer kids questions then it, i would feel mm. differently but um that's something that i've which i think is also an okay yeah. decision mm. you know i think like you could you can we can make lots of different yeah. decisions and it can it can be okay and you have to you end up with different conversations at home mm. you know um and different probably have to navigate things at different times. Yeah, I don't think, I think that's like a key piece of wisdom here is that there's just, we need to avoid yeah. universalizing either yeah. the parenting experience or also for our kids, I think that's a risk is to universalize. This is what Christians believe. That's how it was always yeah. presented to me is Christians believe X, Y, Z. But yes. to even yes. just use the phrase some, some Christians some, yeah. view it this way, some yeah. Christians view it this way, me and mum view it this way. Yeah. Or I view it yeah. this way and mum views it this way. Or, yeah. you know, our friends, like, I think just to, like, normalise that, um, you yeah. know, labels are never, like, they they never actually can hold yeah. all of the things that we yeah. are trying to get them to hold. 
I think that's that's so good. I think that, that's key mm. for us. Like we've passed, like we've tried to pass on curiosity. We've p- tried to pass on diversity. We've had to give our kids like space to know that Christians think different things in different ways because that's true in their extended family. And so when we're together with extended family, they will encounter different things. And so that idea of you know being able to say, yeah, people are different. I'm not sure. Like. I'm not sure what I think about that right now. Um, This is what I'm leaning to at the moment, but that might change. Like I'm working this out. I'm working this out with me. I'm working this out with God. Like to give that kind of language rather than the really rigid certain language or the us and them or the, um, you know, all of that. That's been really important for us that they see see us in process and that gives them permission to be Mm. in process themselves and also gives them permission to be able to go, oh, that person over there th- thinks that about that, but but mum and dad think that, and then those people think that, and I'm a, like, we're we all love Jesus. Like, I think that's really important. Different to the faith I inherited, which was very superior and right. Um, yeah. Hmm. You mentioned before, Caro, that like you ultimately want to help your kids be spiritual beings. Mm. What would be like for both of you, as you just think about your desire, like we, we know probably with some level of clarity, like we started, I don't want to pass on fear of hell. I don't want to pass on, you know, shame-based views of sin or humanity, etc. But like when you just think about the desire, like if you could have um, the elements of, of faith and spirituality that you most want your kids to be grounded in, um, what are some of those things? Like in the positive sense, what are the things that are of deepest value to you from the Christian tradition that you actually really hope kind of sink in deep over the years that your kids are growing up under your roof? Mm. Oh, I I think for me it would be that God is love, um, that God is present to them like in that personal way that they can that they are able to grow in a sense of knowing the presence of God for in them um that God is the sustainer of them in all things not not necessarily a protector like he's not going to necessarily keep them from harm but he will be with them through everything um I want them to be able to um, discern, like trust themselves, trust trust the spirit within them to discern um, safety and harm um, where they like. I want them to be to have that discerning sort of thing in them um, to grow up trusting their bodies. Yeah, but I think to know the fullness of God in all things and that the hope of God for the world is truth and justice and goodness and mercy and kindness and gentleness and that they can be an embodiment of that to the people around them and that God can help them do that. I think they're probably some of the the things that most immediately come to mind. And definitely Jesus. I think for me Jesus is the image of God. Um, he he shows us what God is like. I want I do want them to know Jesus. Um yeah, as a per, as a as a living a living person, not so much Jesus is the one that just died, so I could be okay, but like Jesus as living person with mm. me. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Like, I think um, for me, yeah, God is love and love is the greatest power in the universe. And anyone who loves, who loves is born of God. Mm-hmm. I feel like for me, that's important. Kind of goes against Christian supremacy. Um, and that there's no one path in life. I think I, I, I really learned that probably in late teen and early adulthood that God has this plan for your life and you need to hear God's voice and do the thing that God says or you've missed, you're going to miss out on something amazing that God could do. And I just would want my kids to feel like, you know, if you're engaged with doing justice, loving mercy, walking with God, knowing that God loves you, that is God's will for your life. And it doesn't yeah. really matter, you know, where you're doing that, with who you're doing that. Um, also that mistakes are actually how we learn and grow. It's very normal part. There's, I grew up with a very intense desire to be perfect and, um, just that my, and my kids obviously (laughs) do not have that, which is great. Um, but I, I want them to see that we can, you know, and they see that in my parenting is that we have rupture and repair. You know, I yell at everybody and I own my emotions and I apologize and they kind of understand, you know, Mm -hmm my body and you know they understand like I, I have PTSD they kind of they know about that um and like yeah like Carol said having embodied practices um where they can connect with their body trust their body um and then that com- community is mm. really important in life and so my my one of my kids said the other night talking to their dad about what they were learning in science in science class about how apparently there's a theory that, you know, the universe is expanding so much that it's, at some point it's just going to be frozen, like the whole universe. I, I I don't know if that's exactly what they were taught. but um, And they and from that, they made the leap to, you know, will you and will you and mom be sad if I'm not a Christian when I grow up? And my husband and I, I jokingly said to my husband, well, did you tell him I would be? That he probably wouldn't care. And just that's joking. But um, and, and my husband said, you know what? the best thing that religion gives us is, you know, a place to learn to love ourselves and other people. And we would want you to have mm. that, that kind of space to learn, you know, to love well. Um, but how, you, where you do that, how you do that, you know, doesn't really matter to us. Like, I'm sure I would have different feelings if that was actually, you know, happening that I'd have to work through. Mm. Um, and, and I think we, one, something I've been doing with our youth kind of once a month during church, we, we kind of occasionally split the youth from the younger kids. And we try lots of different things, don't we? Yeah. We have a very small roster of people who, can, who work with kids at our church. So, um, But one thing I have been doing is some contemplative practices with our kids. So I, I've had, they each have like a journal that we keep at, ch- at the church. And um, we've had them talked about breath and, and had them write a breath prayer and then practice that for you know, three minutes, we've done um, psalm writing. So just that feeling like you can tell God anything. And so I have them talk about the psalms and then had them write their own psalm. And, you know, some shared it if they wanted to. And we've done Emmanuel journaling, which is something I learned about recently, which is like, you know, thinking of a time where you you, ha- you feel stressed or you feel really excited or you're having some big feeling and just writing kind of from God to yourself about how God sees you, there's five things. I won't remember them now, but the idea is that God sees you. God hears you. God is with you. God wants to help you. And so writing about your, like imagine yourself in that right before you have a big test or a big game or whatever it is. And that you're actually, you know, like imagining God tell you. Um, yeah. And I think it's been, 
yeah, it's been it's been good. Like it's you know wrangling cats sometimes with you know ages eleven to probably fifteen trying to do that. But I think it's been like my son who you know he's he's heading into that separating from mom and dad stage a bit. But he he says he likes that and he likes when I I run that. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna take that. Mm. <laughs> um, so I think our kids are like they are hungry for those kind of spiritual practices. Mm. Um, which are just generally good for us. They're just good for our bodies. They're good for our mental health. Yeah. They're good for, you know. Yeah, we do we do morning gratefuls and that's like the the spiritual practice I've been most intentional about passing on. We don't call it prayer, but in many ways it is. We just start the day just like, yeah. what are you grateful for this morning? you got to list three things, um, not because I'm forcing you to, but because the world's a beautiful place and what I would hope mm-hmm. that what I pass on of spirituality is wonder and gratitude and a sense, you know, like to be constantly in awe of the the fact that you got to be here. Um, you know, whatever we do or don't know about the whole cosmos and eternity, like you're here now and that mm. is a miracle in itself. Like, yeah, you know, if I want to teach my kids mm. about miracles, I do want to pass on that's the bigger sense of the miracle of just being here. Um and a couple other things that came to mind and definitely resonated with everything that both of you said. But, you know, it's interesting, like kind of what you were saying, Becca, about this idea that there's not just one path, there's multiple kind of pathways. But I, I would love, like, I think we probably all were given a, a strong moral code, which was built on kind of purity culture and some stuff that is negative. But I do want to pass on like a strong sense of, of justice and of, mm. of like being an advocate and of, um, you know, being aware that for me, like my life was um, like this, the second half of my life has been becoming aware of my privilege and trying to use it responsibly. But the first half of my life was just being, you know, blissfully unaware that I had a very privileged mm-hmm. existence. But like that's part of what I would want the faith that I pass on is to help my kids to, to have a deep awareness and then responsibility around privilege and to have a faith that constantly leads them to be critically self-examining as well as having that heart for whoever is on the margins and how we can be a part of reallocating shalom in the world. Um, Yeah. You know, I was thinking before about how it's interesting because there are kind of no blanket answers here. And part of that is because every kid is unique and I was thinking about, you know, I like it when people talk about, you know, and I'm not sure if you've heard people say, you know, the gospel, like what is the gospel for this particular person and place? Like mm. when Jesus gave people gospel, it looked different mm. depending on the yes. person and depending on the context. Yeah. And I wonder like, you know, for, for my kids, like Noah in particular is a very anxious kid. And I think generally like it's, it's difficult for me as someone who just wants to adventure through life, that he is so cautious and so often anxious and afraid. But it's kind of like, well, what what does Christianity offer as good news for Noah with his temperament? And also then for the parent, like what does Christianity offer? As I discover myself as a parent, both the joys of it as well as the pressure points, like, is there a discovery here for both each unique kid and each unique parent? And what does Jesus mm-hmm. look like as revealing um, grace and goodness and kindness in this space that's going to look a bit different for each person? Mm-hmm. Which I think is maybe a question for us to mm-hmm. ask, you know, not just how do I pass on to my kids a generic 
Christianity, yeah. but how do I pass on good news that is relevant to their particular, um, yeah, personality and, and struggles? Yeah, I think mm. you're really um, tapping in there, Will, to one of the, I think for me what has become one of the most liberating and one of the most beautiful fruits of um, the unravelling of my very narrow faith that I was inherited in that um, God and the work of Jesus in this world has become so expansive. So where I was just given a version like Jesus comes to save us from our sins, this is the gospel, um, the gospel has become the good news for every human being and that good news is translated into a language they understand or in other words that good news looks different for different people and the gospel is the good news for everyone but it might be nuanced and yeah like I think that part of my parenting has been the attempt in doing exactly what you're saying I'm not trying to center my faith and bring my children into that like somehow that the outcome of my parenting is that my children are church attending Christians when they're adults. What I'm trying to do is center each of them as human beings of delight and wonder and goodness. And then the question becomes, what does the, what is the good news of God for them? What does being a mm. deep, healthy, whole spiritual being look like for them? What does the way of Jesus look like for them? Recognizing that it might look different for Archie than it does for Lexi and then again for Freya. But instead of centering the faith, I'm trying to center them and bring and and parent in a way that God comes alive for each of them, knowing that the outcome of what their journey is that's out of my hands. I can't control that. Like, but I trust God, and I think that's that's well. I today I trust God, <laughs> um, but I I have been reminded even thinking of this that I can remember significant moments in my life from when I, at a time when I was younger than my eldest daughter, Freya, where God met me, where I was eight and on the the netball courts and had like just an experience of God's vastness and God's love and that I knew by the time I was 11 or 12 that I wanted to be a pastor. Like God was at work in my life. The spirit of God was with me, revealing himself to me, revealing themselves to me when I was young and I feel like I'm invited to trust is the spirit of love, is the divine presence, is the goodness of God already meeting my kids in hidden and unseen ways that they can't yet express but maybe I can catch a glimpse of and that my my role as their mother is to just simply water the ground and keep it soft for the for the movement of God's goodness that's already at work in their lives. Like that's what I think is what I want to do with my parenting is mm. trust it's not on me. It's mm. that God is meeting my kids. God is meeting them in ways that I don't know that they don't know and I'm just tending the garden of their life to make sure that when God comes to them it's received with gentleness and hope and goodness and Maybe sometimes I do that well and I'm sure sometimes I do that in totally bodgy ways. But that's that's my that's my hope that that's what I'm doing. That, that yeah, you can give they can give me a scorecard out of ten. Um, but I did actually I did ask my kids last <laughs> night. We were sitting around dinner and I said I was talking about parenting and faith and they all laughed. Um, and then I said, Well, what do you think? Um, 
what do you think I should say? What do you guys feel? And so Freya, who is nearly 14, so she's, you know, she's really her own person. Her comment was, she's like, oh, mum, you take us to church, but you let us choose our own way. And I was like, oh, that that was a really nice thing to say. Like, we are we are taking them to church. Mm. We're, we're in, incorporating them into faith community. We're giving them some containers. They're not growing up in a vacuum. But they ha- obviously she has a sense that she can choose her own way, that if she felt mm. like she wanted to choose not to follow Jesus, she would be loved and accepted and empowered to do so. And I felt really, I felt really good mm. about that. I was like, I'll take that. I'll take that parenting win and just, you know, Come let on. that make up for all the terrible parenting that well, I'll do. I think do. That's, it's really important. <laughs> I think it's really important because where there is coercion, you know, like I work in the birth space. So where, when there is coercion, um, you know, from a hospital staff or something, they actually can't legally be consent. Like you cannot consent to something for being coerced. And so like even thinking of, yeah, parenting and faith, it's like, there's so much ego, so much opportunity for parents to let your ego just slowly dissolve um, and let your children choose their own path so they can actually consent to the parts of faith that they're offered. But if it's forced, you know, and for us, a lot of, for me, a lot of coercion happened with this doctrine of hell, you know, and believing that if you don't believe this thing, this terrible thing's going to happen. So how can I ever freely choose that at five or 15 or, you know, however old I am? Um, so then giving your kids that really vast, big opportunity to, to choose what, what resonates with them, you know, without fear, without fear. And that actually, I mean, our spirituality bears fruit in our life. And I think if we let our kids be in touch with their bodies and their selves and they'll, they'll find, they'll find the stuff that brings good fruit and they'll find the stuff that doesn't, you know, and they'll, yeah, they'll choose the the stuff that brings good fruit, you know? Hmm. It's interesting. I'm thinking about how, for me, like parenting itself really accelerated um, the the breakdown of old ways of thinking about God. But all because, like, the intuitive experience of parenting was that, man, I love my kids so much. Hmm. There's no way. There's there's never any separation. Um, there's yeah. moods <laughs> and there's challenges, but at the, <laughs> the like at the base reality of things. Yep. Like there's never separation. And yeah. I just think it's, you know, that actually really helped me to understand. And people talked about I, I definitely people talked about the like the parental heart of God, the father heart of God growing up. And I remember my dad talking about that. And mm-hmm. and for him talking about how there was always like his his disappointments with the lack of connection that he had with his earthly father. Um, you know. And as a human relationship, it's it's nuanced. There was there was good there, but certainly there was a desire that was unmet, and yet for him it was like, but but I know that like God is the parent who is more more capable mm. of love and connection, and so I do think it's interesting that there's like this anxiety around how do I parent my kids to, to know that God is good. Well, it's sort of like lean into the intuition of parenting that there is no separation and that actually what you want for your children is not, I mean, hopefully what you want for your children is not that they are um, achievers in material senses of the word, but that they are beloved and that they know at a deep level that that is their kind of grounding and identity. Mm -hmm. I do think so so much maybe bad religion in the world does come from 
our unmet desires for human attachment, connection, you know, like value, trying to, mm. trying to impress somebody, trying to prove something to somebody, trying to earn our way. And so I think that the more that we can kind of secure ourselves in the knowledge that we are beloved, then mm. that's what we hopefully will pass on, um, mm. which in some ways is, is less complicated than having to get all the doctrinal ticks and crosses. Yeah. Um, yeah. but, it, but it's also a work. It's a, it's a constant work to remind ourselves, particularly depending on what our kind of influences were growing up. And I want to give a shout out at this point, you know, like one thing that for my parents that, that I really value is that the faith that they had when I was a kid, like there is consistency across time, but there is change across time. And the mm-hmm. faith that they have now is not the faith they had when I was a kid, but they still are in the same tradition, following the same Jesus, yeah. referring back to the love that they experienced when they were teenagers from God. Yeah. And yet their faith is so different. And I would hope that that is also like across the longer span of my life, like when my kids are in their 30s, 40s, that that they still see me as someone who's like a fellow mm. pilgrim on the journey and continuing to experience change. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's so good. I would say the same for my my parents. Yeah, really grateful for the the love that they gave me and the faith that they passed on. And even as I choose to do that in slightly different ways, they're actually some of my biggest cheerleaders, which, you know, even though they're, yeah. you know, for my dad especially, his faith really has changed um, and grown. And I see that in him and I think I want to be like that too, you know. I want to be mm. old and faithful and still growing, um, still growing in the mm. kindness and the goodness of God. Yeah, I think it's funny. Like my parents would find some of my theology pretty discomforting. And it would not sit, you know, like easily with them, but they are massive supporters of me. Yeah. And I think that even that, like that they will cheer me on, that they Mm. see the good in what I do, even where there may be difference and discomfort. Like that is a really good picture of what I hope for with my kids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. And I think it, it could be possible that some people are listening who would have, you know, parented before kind of they started to ask questions themselves Mm. and would have raised, you know, and I'm just, yeah, thinking of people that might feel like, or they, we always know things that we wish we knew before always, you know, Mm. and that I think it's also important to have a lot of self-compassion that Mm. we're parents are historically have always actually generally done their best. And we're always caught between, you know, the, our children who demand everything from us and then this, how we were, the limits of how we were parented and the culture around us. And so, especially for those that were steeped in, you know, evangelical culture, especially thinking of, you know, people that were influenced by a lot of the American Christian parenting in the eighties, nineties, that you were actually doing your very best, Mm. you know? And it's, I think even I've heard stories of how, what a difference it makes for adult children when parents, even when they're older can say, wow, like, I'm so sorry. I, I wish I did some things differently versus holding on to that. You know, parents have said, you know, you have the child was deconstructing the child was asking questions about how they were parented and the parents were like, no, that was the right way. You know, there's a massive difference. And I just think with our kids, it's never too late. It's never too early and it's never too late. You know? mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, I, um, I think we can 
call this the comma in the conversation, not the full stop, um, but a, a really lovely uh, conversation that was, for me, it was really reassuring and really encouraging. Um, not that I'm nailing it, but that it's okay to not nail it, but to stay curious, to stay humble, to keep having conversations like this, to keep, you know, doing good, healthy self-awareness check-ins and reflection and um, celebrating the wins. So, yeah, thank you both of Mm. you for being a part of this conversation. I'm going to, I was going to interrupt you, Will, but I was just, maybe this can be my final thought, but there are actually some great resources out there for deconstructing parents. And I think that's important to say that, you know, as time is passing, there's more and more goodness out there. Like Becca mentioned, um, the kids' church curriculum that we've dipped in and out of a bit at church, which which Pete Enns had a lot to do with. I can't remember. Is it called? What's it called, Becca? Um, um, no, I don't know. It's not called The Bible Tells Me So, is it? That's his... Teaching, no, it's called teaching, teaching God's story. I think teaching God's story. Anyway, that that like if you you know Google search Pete ends and kids, you know curriculum. I've got I've got this book um, by Brad Jerzak and uh, an illustrator called Jesus Shows Us. I would happily pass that along to anyone with toddler kids. It is just all about Jesus shows us exactly what God is like, and I think the. The theology in that is just beautiful and brilliant. It's about God caring for everyone. It's about diversity. It's so good. That's like, and then I've also got this book that my um, girls have tapped into. It's called Holy Troublemakers and Unconventional Saints. And it is just Mm. um, a list of, it's just the brief stories, the brief bios of all these different people um, who have done faith differently and not just from the Christian tradition, although a lot of them are, but there's like rabbis and Rumi is in there and Thich Nhat Hanh and as well as St. Francis of Assisi and Florence Nightingale and Mary Oliver and um, Rachel Held Evans. And it's just, you know, like, um, you know, Will Gaffney, who's a womanist, Um, a a womanist theologian it just has like illustrations and then their stories and it's just elevating the Mm -hmm. the justice the richness the mercy the diversity and it's so good and then there's the other my last recommendation would be there's a a lady on insta or she's on instagram her name's meredith ann miller and i was about to say her oh were you yes she's so good like if she really has such practical advice for how to have different conversations with Mm. your kids about god and i we've used we've we actually use a lot of her stuff as well in our kids church curriculum um that informs a lot of what how we're talking to our kids but just even as a parent like follow her because she gives such good examples how to talk about the cross how to talk about god how to and i i it's just been Mm. there there is actually good stuff out there to equip you if you're if you're like, wow, I don't want to do it the way I was taught, but I have no idea how to do it, um, I think the more we can kind of share this is good stuff, the more we can equip each other mm. to just to find a new way to reimagine a new path that is still, you know, kind of centred in our Jesus way but is expansive and curious and full of justice mm. and love. So I have a lot of hope for for each of us and for all people who are, just trying to raise kids well, as well as they can in the mess of this world. Yeah. That's so good, Caro. I'll put links to all of that yeah. stuff in the show notes. Yeah, that would probably help. I brought a book for Chantel as well. 
Um, and I think for me, it was like, you know, you kind of sometimes it's nice to have that nightly devotional, like, and I've tried lots of different ones and then that worked for our, for me, for my, theologically. But um, this one is, it's called Becoming Rooted 100 Days of Reconnecting with Sacred Earth. And it's by Randy Woodley, who's a Cherokee theologian. Um, and it's, it's a really cool mix of a de- decolonized view of God and scripture and science and just highly recommend it. Um, yeah, that's what my closing thought is. <laughs> and my awesome. kids have enjoyed it enough, you know. <laughs> enough. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that, that's a good discussion. <laughs> and that's, I think that's the thing about kids. They enjoy it enough. Like, yeah, kids yeah. are kids. Yeah. 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 I love it. I love those. You guys did a great job there of reminding us that we don't just have to feel it out, but there are actually people, you know, doing the work, doing the evidence-based and creative and yeah, wonderful, wonderful stuff. So excellent. Thank you both. Look forward to the next time you come on. Uh, Now that you've been on three times, (laughs) we'll definitely get the call back again. Does that mean, I think next time we need to be the host and we'll we'll just pepper you with questions and like... (laughs) Oh, Pick please. I'd love that. <laughs> I don't even need to be on it. You, you guys just have a chat. I'd, I'd love to listen to that. So good. It's great, Will. Spiritual Misfits podcast is brought to you by Meeting Ground, a church for the misfits. We know we are only one small and humble faith community, but we're making this work in the hope that we can encourage and empower other people in similar spaces. If you haven't already done so, jump on our website, spiritualmisfits.com.au and join our mailing list to receive the Sunday message. No spam, no sales, just weekly encouragement around faith from the fringes. If you know someone who would benefit from hearing this episode, please share it and consider giving us a rating and review on your podcast platform or social media of choice.